This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Happy Wednesday. Thanks for hanging out with us today. It is 13 days until the election. Yes, it is. Less than two weeks. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie to you folks out there. I am doing the show from the comfort of my bed today. I have not moved all day. You know what? And that is self-care for you. And I applaud you, Ryan, because your ability to work while you give yourself space to be in bed. I mean, that sounds amazing. The fact that I'm rolling my eyes so hard at her because I literally tell her this and I'm like, all she's thinking about is rainbows and unicorns. And I'm like, sure, I'm literally not feeling well today, but I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. But I'm just like, girl, that's that's all you see is the unicorns and the roses and the flowers. I, I, well, you know, I'm glass half full. I'm an optimist, but it's it's more that I said good for you. Yeah, you get to do that. That's awesome. Of course, when I found out you weren't feeling well, then I was like, oh, hope you feel better. I just can't believe it. It's just who is this woman, people? Who is this woman? I'm Sheer Lazar. Thanks for asking. It's like you're Santa Claus's daughter or something. <laughs> That'd be cool. Okay. Uh, I don't want to uh, break it to you, Ryan, but Santa Claus isn't real. Uh, first of all, you're a liar. <laughs> okay. It is International Pronoun Day, by the way. Uh, so let's celebrate pronouns today. And the Trevor Project is joining us for that later in the show. Plus, we're going to be getting into the problematic Halloween costumes of 2020. So that and much more on Let's Go There today. But let's get into some what's trending this hour. Let's do it. Yes, yesterday morning, two candidates running to be the next governor of Utah, Spencer Cox, the Republican, and Chris Peterson, the Democrat, appeared in an ad together. That is very unique and different. The Republican and Democratic nominees for governor of Utah were in the same ad just 14 days before voters have to choose between them. And uh, it features them trading lines and just like in it together, which is very rare these days. Here they are on CNN with Don Lemon. Hey, we are setting aside those differences to deliver a message that is critical for the health of our nation. That whether you vote by mail or in person, we will fully support the results of the upcoming presidential election, regardless of the outcome. Although we sit on different sides of the aisle, we are both committed to American civility and a peaceful transition of power. Now, I love this, it's a great example for opposing candidates, we can do something with integrity, which you don't see right now. Yeah, that's true. You made some good points. <laughs> it's true. I mean, but it's, also it's just, it feels like right. it feels like the bar is in in hell, as I love to put it. Like this is the bare minimum, so we're just like kind of calling it what it is. But it's nice to see two people from opposing sides, right? Kind of setting their 
their differences aside. Well, setting the tone and then also saying that no matter what happens, we will respect that transition. I think that is the point they're making here, which is a bit of a jab to President Trump and how he hasn't been able to fully say that. Oh, for sure. Now let's move on to what's happening in Nigeria. Just, it's so horrible to see what's happening. They've been rocked by days of nationwide protests over police brutality, following widespread claims of kidnapping, harassment and extortion by a controversial police unit known as the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, also known as SARS. And the protests turned bloody yesterday in Lagos, the country's largest city, as rallies continued despite a statewide curfew. And eyewitnesses told CNN that demonstrators had been shot by soldiers. The inspector general of police announced 10 days ago that the controversial SARS unit was being deployed. So this is huge and it's happening in Nigeria right now. Um, and you know, it's, it's getting bad when the news is coming here into this country and we are banding together to say that something needs to be done. Well, I don't know if it's if that's the tipping point when I found out it was like, oh, it's bad because we're all finding out about it. I mean, it has gotten the attention of celebrities um, like Beyonce and so many others, Rihanna. Um, but seeing the videos alone and, and, and there's someone on Twitter that um, caught my attention who was is lead, was one of the people kind of leading a lot of the protests and unfortunately they died. And so there's so much happening here um, where it's just very sad and just think about it this way. Police brutality is not just happening in this country. It's happening across the globe in different places and and it's, it's happening differently because what's happening here is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, of course, find out more about it on social media. And if you want to get involved or support organizations, to please. Now, social media app TikTok has pledged to do more to tackle hateful content and behavior on its platform following reports that it has a Nazi problem and a white supremacy problem. So they took to their blog. They said they're going to clamp down on language and symbols that some users adopt to try to spread hateful speech. And also they're gonna remove content around ideologies such as white nationalism and white genocide theory. Uh, the company also said they're gonna remove statements that have the origins in these ide ideologies. Other content linked to movements like identitarianism and male suprem supremacy. I mean, I can't even keep up with all of this, but good on them for doing that. Okay, uh, what else is happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so we got the T Report, those pop culture moments that are trending right now. And of course, this is an intersection with politics because, honey, Rudy Giuliani, um, New York City's former mayor and President Trump, uh, Donald Trump's personal lawyer, was caught on camera touching his genitals in front of a woman he believed was a journalist but was actually an actor involved in the sequel to Sasha Baron Cohen's uh, movie Borat. Now, Baron Cohen's follow-up to his 2006 hit comedy to be released Friday features a scene with Giuliani touching himself in the presence of a woman to pre uh, pretending to be a conservative reporter oh as God. multiple pu publications have reported. This story is wild and is <laughs> so crazy. And I, I, I'm going to tease you a little bit um, because you got to go over to our website at weirdchannelq.com to find out more. But just know that Baron Cohen and playing Borat burst into the room that Giuliani is now like reaching into his pants is uh you know bear uh shasha says this she's 15 she's too old for you but the real actress is actually like 24 years old but so much to that story dive in weirdchannelq.com yeah. and i got more I, t report coming up next. i'm intrigued by this and i will end up watching it for that moment just to see oh, what went down it's gross How awkward so gross yes. 
Uh, now coming up, Trump is at war with 60 Minutes. We tell you why and what to expect from Sunday's episode next in two minutes. President Trump lashed out at 60 Minutes host Leslie Stahl and threatened to release their interview after he cut off their conversation at the White House yesterday because he didn't like the aggressive tone of her questions. He was not happy. And then he posted a little video of her on his social. She wasn't wearing a mask and he was like, much more to come. Like, look at her not wearing a mask at the White House. And then he said that he was going to, of course, release his own version of it. So what is going on right now? I've never seen this before happen. Richard Fowler, Fox News contributor, is back with us. Welcome to the show. It's good to be back with you guys. How are y'all doing? You know, we're just trying to take in all this stuff that is coming at us daily. Listen, that's all you can do in the world that we currently live in. It seems like this. Have we ever seen something like this go down, including with a, a credible show like 60 Minutes? Um, listen, I, here's the thing. It, it, there's a quote, there's this, actually an interview that Donald Trump gave to Leslie Stahl a couple of years ago, and she asked her, I mean, she asked him about why he takes on the media and why he attacks the media so much. And his response then, I'm paraphrasing, was, I attack the media so that I could discredit you guys, so that when you guys write a negative story about me, nobody will believe it. And we actually see that taking place right in front of our very eyes. Um, well, according to CBS News White House correspondent Mark, Mark Noller, Trump has given 10 times as many interviews to Fox as he has to any outlet since he became president. Of course, I believe presidents are going to go where they feel most comfortable. That kind of just makes sense. But with 13 days left in this election cycle and season, is that the smartest idea, especially after what just happened with the CBS situation? No, I mean, it's definitely not the smartest ideal, but here, hey, we're talking about Donald Trump, so that shouldn't surprise you. Um, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, he needs any, he needs as many votes as he can get. And um, he, and that includes having a conversation with somebody, with some of the, the folks who, who watch the, who are part of the CBS audience. Yeah, that's true. And of course, it's airing on Sunday. A lot of people are going to want to watch it. They're, they also interviewed Joe Biden and Dr. Anthony Fauci, right? They did. And the Anthony Fauci interview was very interesting because he says, you know, he basically said he basically sort of quotes the Godfather and it's like, it's not personal. It's just business. Right. So he's saying in that interview that he really doesn't have a good relationship with the president of the United States. Um, and he was talked about how upset he is that he was placed in an ad, um, a campaign ad for the White House. Uh, and so there's going to be some definitely, this is gonna, definitely going to be an interesting interview to say the least. But would it really be that big of a deal that he went on Fox News all the time if like he was like, let's say he was interviewing, like you were interviewing him where there was the correspondent that was actually kind of giving and asking him the right answers versus kind of this built-in cheerleading squad that we see all the time from Fox News correspondents. I mean, I don't think it really matters who does the interview. It's about the questions they ask, and it's about how the president answers. And we saw yesterday that Sinclair, um, th this week, the show hosted by Eric Bowling, a former a former anchor at Fox News, um, he did an interview with Donald Trump, and Don he asked Donald Trump, "Is that if you had a do over, if you had a redo button, and you could do anything different throughout this pandemic, what would you do?" And the president responded, "Nothing." So it doesn't matter if he's being interviewed by conservative outlets, if he's being interviewed by journalists like Leslie Stahl or journalists like Chris Matthews or journalists like, excuse me, Chris Wallace, rather, or journalists like Martha McCallum or journalists like Lester Holt, 
It's how he answers the questions. And when you answer a question after there's 220,000 dead Americans that you would do nothing different, when we have, we see an uptick in coronavirus cases in every state in the United States of America to the point where today Boston has decided to suspend in-person school and go back to just virtual learning, we have a larger problem on our hands. It's not really the outlet that's the problem. It's the president. Yeah, he's the common denominator here, it seems. Again, you're hearing the voice of Richard Fowler, Fox News contributor. Uh, But, you know, this idea that Joe Biden doesn't get pressed by the press, is that really true? Uh, No, not at all. Uh, Here's the truth. I I think the reason uh, Joe Biden gets, you know, it's very interesting to me when, like, as I'm sitting there, I'm sort of laughing to myself, right? Because you have one individual, you have two people in this race, and elections are about contrast, Sharon Ryan, as you guys know, comparing one, comparing apple to apple or orange to orange. But sadly, what we're really comparing here is a watermelon to an apple, and we're trying to make some similarities. And the only similarity here between a watermelon and a pineapple is they're both sweet, and, and the same similarity between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. They're both running for president. Beyond that, there aren't very many similarities. Joe Biden believes in operating in facts. Joe Biden believes in working with the current system. He believes in bolstering our democracy. He believes that every American should pay their fair share. And he believes a a novel concept that we should listen to doctors and scientists on how we handle this pandemic. On the other side, you have a president that lies constantly. You have a president that pushes misinformation, a president that traffics in untruths, and an individual where literally, thanks to his leadership, the White House became our latest and greatest COVID hotspot. So, of course, he's going to be treated less fair by the press because the press are going to ask him fair questions about what the hell is going on. Yeah, well, Richard Fowler, thanks again for being here. We'll be following all your coverage on Fox News and, of course, your own social media. Thank y'all. It's good to be with you. Yeah, that was Richard Fowler, Fox News contributor. Check him out on Instagram at Richard A. Fowler. And also check out that uh, those interviews on CBS this Sunday on 60 Minutes. Should be interesting. Now, coming up, the number of people planning to get a COVID vaccine has plummeted. What that means for America next in two minutes. We are making incredible progress towards a COVID-19 vaccine. But as approval nears, potentially as early as December... There's worry about distribution and numbers are showing there is surprisingly low interest in people planning to get the vaccine. So what's the point if that's the case? Uh, Back with us is infectious diseases expert, Dr. Michael Sag. Thanks again for being here. Good to be back with you. Yeah, so obviously we know the point. I was kind of making a joke about that, but this brings up many questions, right? Uh, So let's start with the distribution component. What does it mean that there's worry about distribution? It's not going to get to everyone in a good amount of time. So we have about 330 million people who just live in the United States, not to mention the world, but if we just focus on the U.S., then we're going to have a vaccine that may require two doses once it hopefully arrives and is available to us. So that's 330 million doses for one, that's 600 million doses. That's a lot of vaccine. So you got to find a way to first off manufacture it, and they're kind of ahead of the game on that. But then you have to get it out into the field and get it to places where people can have access. So they're looking at Walgreens and CVS and other drugstores to kind of be the ones to deliver the vaccine. The government will pay for that. Well, I think that's so alarming, right? Because recent national data is showing coronavirus cases are surging again. And epidemiologists are saying the next six to 12 weeks are going to be the darkest of the entire pandemic. So 
does that mean they're going to put a rush on this? Or are people going to be even heavily affected because we're still waiting for this vaccine? And looks like, and especially the distribution process, which doesn't seem like it's even confirmed yet. Yeah, that's a, those are great points, Ron. So uh, let's dissect that a little bit. The next couple of months, there won't be a vaccine. So we're going to have to suffer through whatever it is that we bring upon ourselves. And I will underscore that last part of the statement. We have control over this virus if we implement the things that we know to do. And I've said this on your show many, many times, mask wearing, social distancing, avoiding large crowds. Everybody knows the drill. We just have to do it. And if we do, we can avoid the surge. But the second part that you're saying is also important, and that is that once a vaccine is approved, then we do have still more hurdles to go through, some of which is the distribution, and the other is to convince people that this is a safe thing and a good thing to do. Yeah, again, we're talking to infectious diseases expert, Dr. Michael Sag, and and let's go to that to uh, get people to take this vaccine because it seems like, and I don't know if you know the numbers, but is it just the US that is so hesitant about this or is this a global thing? I don't know about the rest of the world. I have focused on the U.S. like all of us. And the I think the problem here is twofold. One, to be blunt, we don't have great leadership on any of these issues. I think that's right. Because probably- that's the reason why I'm questioning it. And not to interrupt, but I wouldn't want to take this first round or this first generation, as a lot of people are calling it, of vaccines either. Because how do I not trust, you know, um, you know, Donald Trump may have stake in the the pharmaceutical company who's providing it. Like, you just don't know what's happening here. So I totally get it. Yeah, I, I think we can take, let's just take Donald Trump out of the equation for a moment and focus on the science. So there's a data safety monitoring board that reviews all these trials, and they're not going to approve or, or in, let a drug or vaccine go out until they're absolutely convinced that the difference between the vaccine recipients and the placebo group is large enough to warrant moving forward. It has to be a huge difference, like 85, 90% effective for them to release it uh, in, in even January. And if that difference is only about 70%, we won't have a vaccine released until the summer. The second thing is that we have to let the data out. We have to let people see it for themselves, mm-hmm. not only the efficacy, but the safety. I think once we have transparency there, people will feel better about it. Uh, but there is a trend in the U.S., the anti-vaxxers, and how much could that come into play here? Well, you're right. And there, there are always are anti-vaxxers. There seem to be a small, perhaps pretty vocal group of individuals, but we move forward with measles and shingrix and other vaccines. We're just going to have to fight through it. Vaccines are a hope for us moving forward without having to remain in masks. And And you had a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, the epidemiologist who wrote about how do epidemics end. They don't, they do kind of burn out, but they'll always be with us. And if we can gain control of it, just like it did with smallpox, if we have a good vaccination that works. And do you think there, if another country develops this vaccine before us, do you think because where we are, unfortunately, I don't want to bring politics in it, but where we are politically when it comes to foreign policy and our relationships with these other countries, is that going to be difficult for us to even kind of even get to the point where they are with the vaccine? Or do you think people would be able to share that information? Should we be worried about that in that case is what I'm basically asking. 
in the long run, I don't think we have to worry about that. The companies that make these vaccines are multinational, and they're going to want to, even if it's approved in the U.S. or developed here, they're going to want to export it to the world. And that's what we need to do. It's a global pandemic. So we're all in this together. It may take a little bit more time. Yep. Well, Dr. Michael Sag, thanks as always. Love having you on. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. And stay safe out there. We know how much you're working. Now, coming up, could the trend for kids' Halloween costumes this year be QAnon themed? Another strange twist to 2020. We discuss that next in two minutes. 2020 has been strange. And of course, we expected this. There would be some problematic Halloween costumes. There always are, aren't there? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I wonder how many people are going to be trying to dress up as COVID this year, like a virus or a germ. Who needs that type of trauma in our lives? But there's probably more coming up. Right. I would think hand sanitizer is problematic. At the same time, it's kind of practical. Like, who wouldn't want to be sanitized anywhere? I guess you're not, you shouldn't be at a party anyway. Exactly. All strange. Exactly. But maybe, hey, Ryan, Zoom parties are a thing. No, Just saying. I'm not doing that. Even <laughs> though I have done a couple of like uh, fun things over Zoom that have been pretty successful. So I'm not going to say no just yet, like hard out. There you go. So what is frightening right now on Amazon, there's a collection of kids chewing on Halloween outfits. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, they have items with symbols from the far right conspiracy theory group, like a cape with a large Q on fire and a cloak with Trump's face and its motto WWG1WGA, which stands for where we go one, we go all across back. I didn't even know this stuff. Uh, anyway, that's on Amazon right now. There's also a strange assortment of QAnon witch hats, one printed with an American flag and a large QAnon eagle. I don't even get that. Like, I don't, QAnon doesn't have, an, uh, have a face. And if it does, isn't it just like that other um, anonymous group where it's just the guy with the weird face, a mask, and he wears a hoodie? What's that one? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Anonymous has that. that yeah, is. so is it that is that basically the same thing? Well, I feel like Anonymous debunks things. I feel like there's as far feeling... as like costume wise, not like oh, what the organization. Okay, I was <laughs> that. okay, yeah, I'm going back to that. Yeah, uh, no, I mean it's a totally different thing, uh, and the fact that they, someone has done this so quickly, which I'm not surprised about. Anything that's viral, anything that's a meme, anything that has a bit of a fandom to it, someone will create something around it in in, in terms of merchandise or right now a Halloween costume. But for the kids, haven't we traumatized our kids enough this year? I mean, honestly, I saw this hilarious uh, TikTok, which, Shira, I'm starting to believe you when you say TikTok is the greatest place ever because there was a person, he was literally uh, getting a knock on the door, about to give Halloween candy out, and they ended up showing pictures of a little boy dressed up as Trump, and he literally pretends like he's slapping the little boy in the face of the closing his door. It's hilarious, and it's honestly, I don't think kids should be participating in Halloween this year. It's too dangerous. I think you need to be careful and be safe. Maybe create a Halloween bubble. We've discussed this before. Be bubble boy. Just be a bubble boy <laughs> in your Halloween bubble. Oh, well, for uh, an international pronoun day, which we're talking about a little bit later, be a bubble then. Oh, yeah, there yes. you go. Or be a pronoun. Hey, yeah. what about that? I mean, I don't want to take it as a joke, but maybe. Yeah, that's, that's true. Cute. Unless you're going to educate. Yeah, we're all that about education. Part, that part. And of course, one that I don't think this is problematic. I think this is good. We need this right now. Possibly, and not for the kids, 
they could dress as a mail-in ballot. Maybe for the adults, a sexy mail-in ballot. Oh God, please don't try to interpret things into sexy. I don't need that. No one wants to see that. And no one can really be sexy during a pandemic. Let's be honest here. Oh, that's what you're saying. I mean, I've been sexy throughout the pandemic. Girl, I've seen you on Zoom. Sexy's not the adjective I would use. <laughs> Thanks for that, Ryan. Okay, now uh, coming up, Pelosi thinks there will be a new stimulus agreement very soon. Details on that next in What's Training This Hour. I'm going to put my pants on right now. Coming up on the show, we've got drag star, actress, musician, Peppermint joining us. Oh my God, I have always wanted to chat with her. When I tell you, I am literally, she's one of my favorite queens besides Bob the Drag uh, Bob the drag Queen, who we've had on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, she is like literally top two. She's such a legend in the drag community and also groundbreaking trailblazer from Broadway to, to music to acting. Everything that she's done in her career is just something to be in awe of. And so we have a really good conversation with her and I'm very excited about it. Yes, that is for sure. So stay tuned for that right here on Let's Go There. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi expressed confidence today that Democrats and the White House are nearing a deal to provide another round of relief to those affected by the coronavirus pandemic. Well, uh, thank you. I'm pretty happy. I I think we have a prospect uh, for an agreement. I do not believe that our timetable has come and gone. We had a purpose in the timetable, which is that we would establish where we were. Freeze the design on your position. No more discussion about that. What is your position? And that is what we are coming to conclusion about now. There's some delay on the part of the Republicans about the appropriations piece of it, but I hope that will be resolved. The secretary will be back in conversation with us later today, and hopefully that will be resolved. So it's just a So she said that she's going to speak with Secretary of the Treasury, Steven Mnuchin, who has been the Trump administration's main representative. She is reiterating that the outstanding issues involve liability protections and how much money should be allocated to states and cities to help fund essential workers and schools, for instance. She said they're at the stage in the talks right now where, quote, it's just a question then of weighing the equities. Is this worth that? Well, it doesn't even seem that like uh, Mitch McConnell is even interested in it when he ended up admitting that his relief proposal didn't even include this. And like he said, he tried to justify it by noting that the unemployment rate is 8.4%, which is the the rate that it was when Obama was uh, was the president. But my thing is, that is so ridiculous to not even consider like the American people at this point. It's just beyond be like it's just beyond me. I can't believe it. I really was shocked and honestly so upset by this. Well, yeah, it seems to be overshadowed, of course, by the election, unfortunately, right now, as well as, you know, last week it was the Hunter Biden emails and the uh, laptop. And there's always something, right? And I want to make sure I note that that is also um, that rate, even though he's saying it's low, that is more than double the rate it was in March of this year. So it's still pretty big considering March of this year was when everything kind of shut down and it's still at a pretty high rate and they still don't want to help us. And let's talk about record poverty numbers from Columbia University. We talked about the number 8 million here in the U.S. Yeah. Now, a Maryland man was charged today with making death threats against Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in a letter left on the doorstep of a neighbor who had yard signs supporting the candidates. James Dale Reed of Frederick, Maryland, told investigators that he was upset at the political situation when he wrote the threatening letter. 
Uh, and that comes from a U.S. Secret Service agent. He was identified on a ring door camera. That's how they found this guy. And the handwritten letter said, this is a warning to anyone reading this letter. If you are a Biden-Harris supporter, you will be targeted. We have a list of homes and addresses by your election signs. We are the ones with the scary guns. We are the ones your children have nightmares about. When we capture Grandpa Biden, we will all severely beat him to the point of death. Okay, let's move into some top stories in pop culture and entertainment news. What's the tea, Ryan? I am so excited to talk about this story. It is the tea report, those pop culture moments that are trending right now. Shonda Rhimes, as we know, she left ABC for Netflix, but she's now revealing why she actually left um, ABC for Netflix. She's, uh, she's on the new cover of The Hollywood Reporter, and she talks about her decision to switch from her creative home of 15 years ABC to Netflix. She says that I felt like I was dying, uh, like I've been pushing the same ball up the same hill in the exact same way for a really long time. Now, however, her breaking point didn't even involve a meeting or a writer's room. Um, it involved one of ABC's executives, which so interesting. This whole moment actually ended up after Rhymes asked for an additional, in a, in a contract renegotiation, she asked for an additional all-inclusive pass to Disneyland, one of her perks for working at the House of Mouse-owned mm -hmm. network. Um, and that was actually to give to her visiting sister. After receiving some pushback, um, basically she said um, we never, she was told that we never do this. Uh, she ended up getting the pass, but it failed to work with her sister, with her children and nanny when they arrived at the park and the thing was um the exec told her that don't you have enough like literally said that to her face i could not believe it and you know it seems like we're, we're even though we talk about inclusivity and diversity in these spaces especially in hollywood nothing has changed because this was a high-ranking exec that told her this I mean, I, I think, do you think, all right, I have this question for you, Ronnie. Do you think that anyone, if like a, a big actor uh, who is white did the same thing, they probably, do you think that behind the scenes, they either would have been like, tried to get this for them, or they would have said to them, or they would have said this behind their back. The fact that they said it to their face, like, it's disgusting. I, I think at the end of the day, I think she would have got it. That ticket, uh, according to reports, is only $154. Yeah, I think it's stupid. <laughs> well, I think it's stupid on behalf of, on, on the part of ABC just to not get, like, is it surprising an exec wants this? I mean, come Any on. Any man would have done that. Hard that? At that point? Any uh, man in her decision would have done that same thing. She, I'm happy she left, and that's the same energy yeah. I'm keeping. No, totally. Uh, and then on her part, like, if you're having that hard of a time, it's the principal then you do just like handle it yourself. I don't know. Let us know your thoughts at LGT Show Everywhere. And of course, find out more about the story at WeAreChannelQ.com. And that is your tea report of the pop culture moment that is trending right now. Expect more coming up next hour. Okay, coming up, a little icon, a legendary entertainer, Peppermint, joins us on Let's Go There next to talk about the upcoming election and her new album. We are back in two minutes. OMG, we are so excited for our next guest. Right, Ryan? Yes, we are. Oh, my goodness. You know, <laughs> you know I, if I can start now, I'll keep going on and on about That's how true. much of a fan I am. Like, literally. This needs, this needs to be a quick introduction so we can just get into That's it and have the conversation. Saying. Okay, you know her from 2017's Drag Race, trailblazing actress, singer, reality star, and activist. Peppermint is with us right now. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're uh, on, Ryan. Peppermint. I mean, honestly, 
these these like interviews that we've been doing with everyone have kind of been just like checking in on folks, right? Like first uh, question out the box is how have you been? How has quarantine been? How have you been handling this crazy year? What 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 you got to say? I mean, all things considered, right? That's my answer to everything. All things considered, mm-hmm. I'm doing relatively well. I'm have my health right now and my life. And it's, you know, if you told me that I was going to be, you know, if you had said to me a year ago, there's a pandemic coming and it's going to be, and lots of people are going to die, I would have exploded. But all, like I said, all things considered, I'm doing relatively well. And I think that, I think that generally, even though there's a lot of really important issues to talk about and things that are not going well, I think as humans, we're dealing. I think we're dealing. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen after a couple of weeks, but um, I think we're dealing. And so I feel, I feel pretty good. Have you had anything in your life that had to change because of this? And like any of those major mm-hmm. life changes or like you thought 2020 was going to be X and it just became this. Yeah, I thought 2020 was going to be the year that I was going to release my album and go on tour, uh, that I was going to uh, travel more. I mean, I'd all traveling had always been a part of my situation, but you know, I had a plan. We already had tour dates booked. It had been a few years since I'd been able to do any music. And it also has been forever, ever since I've been able to do like a serious album like this. And so I wanted to give it like the respect it deserved. And I wanted to have a very particular, we're going to plan this. We're going to do this tour. We're going to go here. There's going to be this. We're going to talk to these people. I had the whole thing lined up. And then when this all hit, it all changed. All of my, I mean, I, I, not only could I not go out and promote the album, I couldn't earn a living. And right. I found myself, mm. like a lot of other Americans, thankfully, I live, live in a place where there's a bit of a safety net. And I found myself on unemployment. And I found myself, you know, with the best. I mean, I, yeah. you know, here I am. I've been on TV, been on Broadway. And what am I going to do? That's, that's real. That's, <laughs> that's real. It's so real because I think there's this idea, obviously, once you're on television, once you have all the followers, Followers, everything is just set to go, right? And even on top of that, we dealt with social unrest in this country where all the white folks woke up oh. and they were like, oh crap, mm-hmm. racism exists. So how did that <laughs> on top of everything that you were, you had all your plans together <laughs> on top of that, how were you able to navigate that space? Because that had to be well, even more difficult. I felt like quietly that I was doing it quietly, to be honest with you. I didn't really, you know, I wasn't like advertising like, hey, I'm on Medicaid. You know, like I was just kind of like, oh, well, this is just kind of what I got to do. And obviously at that point, we were only a couple months in. We didn't know how long this was going to last or what was going to happen. And so it, it was the, the bigger, the first adjustment personally and sort of my ego wise was that just the financial considering that, you know, what's going to happen with my family? Will I be able to travel to see them? You know, should I go home? Everyone, there's a lot of other people leaving New York, which is where I live to go, you know, to their, wherever the hell they're going and their vacation home. And I can't. And then when I kind of got through that and I was like, okay, we're going to be in this for a while. Let's, let's sit down and, and let's sit down. (laughs) And then there was nothing left to do. And so I watched all of the internet. I watched all of, uh, you know, I was just watched everything and did all the little challenges and tried to learn how to do, you know, like all this stupid stuff people were doing. And, and just when I was about to start Game of Thrones, because I'd never watched it. And pe- there's like all these seasons and people are like, yes. well, it's really good, but you're going to hate the last season. So don't watch it, but watch it. 
I was like, oh my God, well, I have the rest of my life. So I might as well just go ahead and watch Game of Thrones. Exactly. Just when I was about to watch Game of Thrones, you know, the real story of 2020 happened. And part of me was like, I mean, I was, I remember being so bothered and moved and upset. And I feel like my life had changed in just watching yet another video of an unarmed Black man being killed on video in front of my eyes. And I didn't know, and I was like, I can't. I don't care what happens after this. I may never work again. I don't care what happens. I have to dedicate myself to doing something about this. And I was prepared for us to, everything we've known to just be gone. Let's, if we have to just, whatever we got to do. And that's what I was ready for. And and I was so hopeful. I, was, I mean, on one hand, I was like really upset that we have to be in this position. But then on the other hand, I was like, what an opportunity. And thank God that the best thing to come out of this pandemic wasn't going to be, you know, Tiger King or something. <laughs> right. And, you know. Right. <laughs> I was like, is that what we're locked up for? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I, I love your perspective and it's so important, but like, it is hard for a lot of people. How do you, how do you get to that place where you can find that hope and also um, the energy to then use your platform to really create action and change. Where does that come from? You know, I don't know. I mean, I guess on the short end of it, it might just be the way I was raised, but I have always do, do, as, as an adult and as a drag entertainer, I, I had always seen a connection between the queerness and the drag that I do and the job that I have and sort of charity and, and being empathetic and community. And so I had always seen a connection with that. What, in my lifetime or career, you know, it was, you know, AIDS and HIV education and prevention, which I have volunteered years and years and years on the, you know, marriage equality which, honey, I, I don't have no ring on my finger, but I'm going to march across that bridge that for y'all. Yes. And, you know, I, those were things that I came, I felt came with territory. There were other queens who I was working with and in, in, in the city who were like, girl, I'm just here to tell jokes and be, you know, hearty heart. And I don't got time for all that stuff. But I do think that this year, I mean, you know, not to jump ahead, but I do think that this year really did sort of, it just the one big litmus test. You know, there's so many things, there's so much BS that sauntered and sashayed into 2020 that will not make it out alive. We are talking with actress, musician, drag entertainer, Peppermint. And coming up next, we talk about her new single, Best Sex, off her upcoming album. That's next in two minutes. If you are just now joining us, we are chatting with queer icon, Peppermint. So I want to move on to your new single, um, Best Sex, uh, from your brand new album, A Girl Like Me, Letter to My Lovers. You know, uh-huh. it's interesting when I, I see drag entertainers kind of jumping, which one, they've always been in the music industry, but it mm-hmm. seems like if you're not like, um, you know, a Trixie who is this white blind, people won't take you seriously. Have you felt the same way when you're like transitioning and trying to really show people that, hey, I have music ability and I should be taken just as seriously as some of my, what, colleagues or sisters? I do admire what Trixie did in not making music that was just kitschy. You know, like she did, she her she's playing the guitar and or whatever, you know, the instruments that she plays. Yeah, it's and folk. She is, yeah. Yeah, and she it's very folksy. 
Um, and she's doing her thing. And, and so I appreciate that there is like another queen who's like attempting ser- serious music. It is, it was a surprise to me how, I mean, it was delightful to me how well it was received. And it was a surprise to me to see that that same type of enthusiasm didn't necessarily exist for, you know, other queens that I think were are also do, doing a bit. Monet Exchange, well, definitely Adora, Adora Delano has had some successes. You know, Aja, yeah. these are queens of color who have music that is not like, you know, just who, who can't be put in the box of party music. Now, I know that there's a lot of queens, myself included, who have music out that in the past could be considered party music. And I think that that's really easy to write off, both by the queer community and the listeners, and then also by folks in the music industry. You know, I mean, look, and I think that's a shame because like, look, I'm sorry, she's a brilliant writer, but her own singles, Kesha, she is party music. Yeah, For the most part. For sure. Until... Her last album. I'll give her some props. Like Look at Miley Cyrus, even. I mean, uh, there's exactly. so many artists go t- through different phases. But yeah. your, your single, Best Sex, which we just want to play a little clip of it right now. It's pretty hot and heavy. Oh. The music video, it's out now. Here's a little clip. You ain't got no money. Mm, and you ain't got no place. You're always undercover All torso and no face Now, that was intense. And of course, (laughs) a little bit of uh, the uh, Girl Like Me, Letters to My Lovers, your latest album. Mm -hmm. How many lovers do you have? Let me tell you, honey. Let me tell you. And real quick, before you answer that, were you done answering my question? Because I didn't really feel like you were. Well, the the idea of like, I just want to make sure, are you nervous about kind of embarking on this journey and people actually seeing you for the artist that you are? I was. I was nervous and putting this out there. I was. I was worried. I was, I mean, I'm not that worried about how people were going to receive it because to be honest with you, this is me. This is very real. And when you're presenting yourself, there is a little bit of, you know, maybe some worry, some trepidation. But after you get past that initial thing, at least for myself, I was like, okay, well, there's nothing else to be like, this is actually me. And so like, they're going to like it or not. But the, it is something new for Mm -hmm. me. And so I wanted to take people on a bit of a journey. I had a really significant relationship and a significant breakup. And that that lasted about a year. Hello. It was probably the best relationship that I've ever had up until that point. And so I wanted to kind of, that's good and bad, right? And I wanted to be able to show both of those things. And it's not, I think that the topic of love is universal, but I think what is also important is if I can bring this subject in, which everybody understands, and serve it in a way that is also definitely, with the food analogy, serve it in a way that nourishes queer, Black, trans folk, queer, queer folks, Black folks, and Black trans folks, then that's all the better. Because honestly, I have not heard a lot of queer people of color, queer people in general, having mainstream successes in music. We're starting to see, obviously, lots of people in Hollywood, TV shows, who are, who are you know, we know that they're queer and maybe some queer characters, which is lovely. But in terms of mainstream music successes, it's a little, it's a, fir- it's a little far behind. Now there are definitely artists who are out who are doing their thing, Justin Trantner, uh, uh, Shia Diamond. These are some great people that are really inspiring, but I'm talking about the people who have the mainstream legendary people who we know were gay or whatever, and never able to sing about who they were really loving. They had to put, they had to encode it. And that I thought was a shame. And so what 
what happens is these people who America or the world are fans of these people, are fans of the Ricky Martins. They was one of the highest, you know, like a major, major, mm -hmm. major artist. Fans of these people in their heyday, George Michael, things like that. And then, but we never really, and people had their suspicions, obviously, but we never really knew. And so then that also allowed people to say, I I'll buy George Michael's music. I like George Michael and Ricky Martin, but they better not come out as gay. And I'm going to discriminate against the gay people in my life because they're afraid to come out, sub subconsciously, they're afraid to come out. And so why should we value what they have to say about their queerness? And then what's worse is it really does, I think, unfortunately, and I'm not blaming people for being closeted and getting their bag because they got to get their coin, but it doesn't necessarily provide a space that inspires other young queer people to come out and be themselves, right? And so I wanted to kind of serve it in a different way. I was like, I have something to say. I'm not going to turn around. I mean, obviously, as, as a... I'm not gonna turn around and try to like encode or disguise or make my the gender of the, the things like something that nobody knows or just make it all general. I'm gonna talk about the things that are affecting black trans women on a record. And I bet people are gonna understand what I'm talking about because it has to do with love and sex. All right, now coming up next, Peppermint shares how she is pushing people to vote her way. That is next in two minutes. We are back chatting with musician, actress, and drag icon Peppermint. What have you been doing? Because I saw on your feed, you've been doing something called The Most Office. What is that? Yes. The Most Office is the queer and fabulous version of the Post Office. I think a lot of people have been scared off from the idea of voting by mail. And for some folks, that's not an option. And for some people, it's a good option. I think everybody has their own circumstances. And I think, you know, although there is definitely some shadiness going on and some things to look at, uh, we, we must, you know, um, if, if, if voting comes at the expense of being scared off by um, the ballots or mail or mailing in your thing, then forget it. We have to at least send in send in the, our ballots. If somebody tries to be shady and dump them in another river, like he's talking about, which never happened, then we will find that person and we will persecute them. Like breaking the law is still illegal, but send your vote in. That's way worse. The consequences of you not participating mean that you are just A, not gonna send in your vote and B, you're gonna be okay if somebody else makes the, the decision for you. And we don't want that. And so, vote. <laughs> yeah, and I agree with that. And I, I think it's it's interesting that we're at this crossroads where still there's people that feel like, well, I'm not satisfied with the person that everyone is telling me that we have to vote oh, for. Oh, Mary, Mary, quite, who cares? <laughs> I don't yeah. know when I've ever been satisfied, to be honest with you. Maybe one president I can think of that I was like, oh, this is the one, and we probably know that is. I think if you talk to any Look, 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 any woman, <laughs> any queer person, any person of color, all of them have looked at the candidates. And I actually don't even care what party you belong to. Every woman, every queer person and every person of color has looked at these um, 40, what, 44 white men, old white men and one black man and been like, well, I guess I'll vote. You know, like <laughs> it is what it is. It's not perfect. And, and, and when it comes to representation, our country is, is lacking and behind other countries who do have, who have had uh, some more diverse representation when it comes to elected officials. But it doesn't change that voting for that person, yes, it may be like a feeling like you're publicly saying your vote of confidence, but that person will be in power and everyone that they bring with them will be in power. No, for lesser sure. Lesser evil at this point, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. Have, yeah. 
you you've obviously traveled the world even though you wanted to do more of that do you ever think about leaving the u.s well i'm sitting in um vancouver canada right now hey okay what are so you, you already vancouver? did <laughs> i'll call you later honey i'll call you later so she, I'm Canadian. Um, no, she's like, that answers oh, the question. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I mean, look, I, it's a lovely place. And I'm, and I, you know, but Canada is very much like, act, um, we don't think so, honey. When's your return? And so I do think that I feel like the people who feel like that are probably the people who, who feel like A, they don't belong, that B, we are being attacked and uh, discriminated. And all those things are on the rise. And obviously they're terrible and horrific. But the last thing I want to do openly out loud is admit to those people, the white nationalists and the conservative people who are trying to strip us of our rights, admit to them that I don't belong here and that it's your country, not mine. And I'm only here for the sake of making money for the, you know, for the economy. And I don't have any other stake in this. I don't, I can't admit that out loud because the minute I do, it's speaking into existence. And then like, oh, this actually isn't your country. You don't have a right to be here and we're going to take down representation and we don't need to see your people, uh, you know, like that's what's going to happen. That was so amazing. The full interview is up in our podcast on radio.com. Just search Let's Go There. She also has a one woman show on Twitch this Saturday. So head on over to her socials to get all those details. Now coming up, one of the officers in the Breonna Taylor case is speaking up to Good Morning America. We have that clip in two minutes. Coming up on the show, why the DOJ is suing Google and what that means for the future of the company. Is Google over? Yeah, this is such an interesting conversation because I don't know. It just seems like people want to shut down Google just because they're the popular kids. Pretty much. That's what's happening. Actually, though, they they have paid for exclusivities and they can do that because they have the money. So you could say they are cutting any sort of competition out. But we will be getting into that in just a bit with The Washington Post. Oh, I barely could say that. The Popo, the Washington Post. The Washington Popo. (laughs) I'm about to talk about the police, though. Let's get into some what's trending this hour. One of the police officers in the raid on Breonna Taylor's home that resulted in her death is speaking out publicly for the first time, saying the fatal incident was nothing like other recent deaths of Black people that have sparked protests across the nation. And he did this interview with ABC News. It aired today on Good Morning America. Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly said the March 13th fatal shooting of Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky was not a race thing. And that's what he's mostly frustrated about. There have been marches, there have been protests. What was your feelings watching all that unfold after this? Mostly frustration because there was so much disinformation out. This is not relatable to a George Floyd. This is nothing like it. It's not a Ahmaud Arbery. It's nothing like it. It's not a race thing like people want to try to make it to be. It's not. This is a point where we were doing our job. We return fire. This is not us going hunting somebody down. This is not kneeling on a neck. This is nothing like that. So, yeah. I don't know. How is that not a... What did you say? I'm sorry. Not the best thing to say. Yeah, so that's that's so interesting, right? The fact that he has the nerve to say something like this when we know that this is not being handled. They're trying to slander Breonna Taylor's name and it's not getting its due, like it's just due in the courts, right? Daniel Cameron is not allowing that to. And the fact that this man is going on Good Morning America saying this, it's just like, are you kidding me? Y'all literally killed someone in cold blood. What is happening? Yeah, and you can see Michael Strahan, who is a black man, just doing this interview, which is also always interesting to see. And I wonder how like traumatizing that is. 
I'm always interested, like, what's the journalists and hosts and interviewers' perspective on things like this? I, mean, I don't even know if we'll ever ask know. us. We will know. We do this. We gotta yeah. have some kids. Like, we understand that talking yeah. about things that can be triggering. So, yeah, but then interviewing it. the officer—that's a whole other level. Yeah, for sure. But it, it's unfortunately it comes a part of the job, and it's it's what we have to do to make sure the truth is being told. Yeah, and then a lot of people on Twitter are saying, well, it is because if it was a building for a white couple, I mean, white couples in a white neighborhood, it wouldn't have been done in the same way. And to not see that is the inherent issue. Now, more than 675,000 absentee ballots have been returned in Ohio, which is nearly double the more than 344,000 absentee ballots returned at this point in 2016. That's according to the Secretary of State's office. Overall, more than 1.1 million early ballots have been cast so far, the office said in this news release. And they also said more than one out of three voters have requested to vote early in the state. So congrats to Ohio for that. Now, the Asian American Foundation, a social services nonprofit, recently released a report looking into the impact the virus has had on unemployment in the community. It found that at the beginning of the pandemic in February, Asian Americans in New York City had a jobless rate of 3.4%. By May, the rate had surged to, this number is wild, 25.6%, the largest increase among all major racial groups. Now, the research and policy director for the Asian American Foundation said the results point to the precariousness of many Asian low-income workers and the vulnerability revealed by the COVID shutdown. And that was somewhat trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so let's dive into the T-Report, those pop culture moments that are trending right now. Jennifer Lawrence, um, we haven't really heard from her this quarantine, but guess what we are now, and unfortunately, it has to do with politics. Um, She says that President Donald Trump has made her rethink her political views. Now, she joined um, an episode of the Dear Media Absolutely Not podcast, where she opened up to host Heather McHannon about what made her change her mind as she's gotten older. She said, I grew up Republican. My first time voting, I voted for John McCain. I was a little Republican. She is now 30, and the fact that she's saying that just blows my mind, but it's not shocking. Um, She also said that her upbringing allowed her to see the fiscal benefits of some of the Republican parties, I mean policies, as well as realizing the social issues weren't in line with her own personal views. Um, As she grew older, however, she says she changed her politics based on the things that she learned. And honestly, this is most people that I grew up with and know. Um, Mm -hmm. Even now, like the Trump supporter or the person that voted for Trump um, back in 2016, we've even had in-depth discussions about um, why he did it. It's because he grew up understanding the Republican point of view, and and that's just kind of what he was sold, um, but learned so much through experiences and just life. And um, yeah, it's just interesting. And this is obviously coming out off the heels of Chris Pratt being in the uh, spotlight again because of people realizing that he is extremely conservative. Yeah, and that's not surprising. You could have done a Google search on that last year. <laughs> yeah. But with everything happening right now, it's becoming more and more clear. Like, I and and listen, I think that in the end, I, I don't know, like, years ago when someone was Republican, it's not the same as it is now. Nope. We knew what they were fighting for and what side they were on, but I think that as rights are fought for and the needle is moved and then people are just stripping that away, it becomes 
more and more of an issue, right? Being on that. Yes, I agree. You can't just sit back anymore and just say, well, I'm not overtly political like Chris Pratt or Mark Ruffalo said about Chris Pratt. It's just you have to kind of, you know, make take a stand in some way and make sure you're on the right side of history. But we have to wrap. We have to move on. Uh, Let us know what you think at LGT Show everywhere on social media. And, of course, you can find out more about this story at WeAreChannelQ.com. Now, as we mentioned, the government is taking on Google, what that means for the Internet and all of us next in two minutes. The United States Justice Department announced that it has filed a lawsuit against Google, claiming that the company has participated in anti-competitive business practices that have stifled competition and created a monopolistic hold over the online search and advertising businesses. Yikes. So what does this all mean? Well, tech reporter for The Washington Post, Rachel Lerman, joins us right now to break it down. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So this uh, came out of nowhere, but kind of not because they've had a uh, strenuous relationship, to say the least, for a long time. So I guess why now? That's first. Yeah. So it's interesting because the political tides have kind of turned against Google and some of these other big tech companies really just in the past like 12 or 18 months. And so we saw the Justice Department and the Federal Trade Commission kind of open these investigations into these big tech companies just last summer. And Google seemed to be kind of their first target. So we've been expecting this lawsuit for a little while now, but we didn't really know what it was going to look like or what they were going to focus on. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong. This whole thing is basically because Google is super popular and and has a lot of money and is one of those places that is like monopolizing, kind of not allowing any other competitors to be seen in this way, right? Yeah, so that's basically right. So the interesting thing is that's kind of Google's defense is they're like, don't punish us because we're popular and because people <laughs> yeah. like right? But the issue is that the federal government is saying, but you're not really giving people much choice in seeing what else is out there. Like you're creating an environment where you're boxing out your rivals before they can even get a chance to try something new or invent something new so that people can try and see if they like them better. So quick, quick follow up to this, because my thing is how much is it just on people's like everyday habits? Like if they're already used to using Google all the time and if people want to use like Microsoft Bing, they will just like if people choose Safari over Google Chrome, why are people, you know, are, is the DOJ, you know, counting, accounting for that as well? Like people's just everyday habits. Yeah, they are. But that's actually one of the things that they're saying is kind of that Google is almost unfairly forcing this habit. So they're saying, okay, Google has these agreements with say Apple, right? That's one of their huge agreements where, where you get a new iPhone, you log on, well, your default browser is Safari, which is made by Apple, but that uses Google search. And almost nobody goes into their settings and changes that away because Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to find. And also, why would you take that extra step? So they're kind of making the point that like, yes, that is our habit. But how much of our habit was created by Google itself? Isn't that just smart business? Again, I mean, in the end, and it's just because they've gotten to such a point of, I guess, monopoly that they're finally um, saying something about it. Right. That's what Google is saying, that that's smart business. Everyone has promotional uh, agreements, right? Like, of course, we're going to pay to do this so that people can find us. That's just smart business. That's what we do. But what the federal government is saying is, yes, okay, that is smart business, but you're doing it to such an extent that nobody else even has a chance to kind of 
react to this. So they have, they're saying that some of their agreements are using unfair business practices. So mm. basically saying, if you partner with us, you can't also partner with our competitors. And they're okay. doing that in that such the government saying that it boxes somebody else out. Yeah. Again, tech reporter for the Washington Post, Rachel Lerman joins us uh, as we talk about this lawsuit filed by the United States Justice Department against Google. Yeah. And I also want to know, you know, a lot of people are saying this could be a political move because a lot of Republicans have signed on to this. Is that something that people should be aware of? Like, this is just another way that Republicans are trying to make sure that they're, you know, Trump is in the news feeds. People are seeing things and I don't know, people are saying it's highly political, which everything is in this current climate. Sure. And and it's hard to ignore that the lawsuit was filed two weeks to the day before Election Day mm-hmm. and that the only state's attorneys generals who signed on to be a part of it were Republican. But the thing is that this kind of uh, push to look into monopoly power of big tech is totally bipartisan. Mm. We just saw Congress come out with this huge investigation led by a Democratic uh, representative, David Cicilline, that looked into the four biggest big tech companies to look at their their power. And that was entirely led by Democratic representatives. So this the lawsuit itself is led by a Republican government. Of course, it's the Trump administration, but the overall push has been really bipartisan. That's interesting. How will this antitrust lawsuit impact other big companies like Amazon and Facebook? It's hard to say. We know that the federal government has already been looking into Amazon, Facebook, and Apple, but they haven't taken any direct action against those three yet. It's possible that Google is kind of a way to test the waters of some of the ways that we're thinking about antitrust law in this kind of changing way. For a long time in our country, we were just thinking about antitrust in terms of consumers. So if it's not going to raise prices for consumers, well, fine, then everything's okay. Of course, Google is mostly free. But some people make the argument that actually you're paying with your data. And so it might be a way to test that out. For me, I'm not going to, one, stick up for Google, who is one of the wealthiest companies on the planet. But how is this going to affect the everyday user? So in this case, because the lawsuit is pretty narrow, it's probably not really going to affect the everyday user, at least not for what looks like years. These lawsuits often take a long time to be worked out. And even if it does change, it might be something like when you get a new phone and you st- uh, you start, start to set it up, it'll give you another option. Do you want to make Google your default search or do you want to make, you know, DuckDuckGo or another search provider? Okay, well, Rachel Lerman, thanks again for being with us for this. Thank you. Uh, Rachel Lerman is a tech reporter for The Washington Post. Now coming up, it's International Pronoun Day. We discuss their importance next in two minutes. Today is International Pronouns Day, a day to honor the importance and necessity of using the correct gender pronouns for trans and non-binary individuals. And the discussion around pronouns, as we know, is more prominent now than ever before, as more trans and non-binary people are living openly, which is so great. And just by the way, I want to add this, according to a 2019 Pew Research survey, one third of teens and people in their early 20s know someone who uses pronouns other than she or he, and this number is set to grow. And back with us, we are so excited about having Sam Brinton on, who's the VP of Advocacy and Government Affairs at the Trevor Project. Thanks again for joining us. Anytime, my friend. Good to be back. <laughs> I know it is. And it's, it's a great day to celebrate because sometimes we have you on and it's for like, 
you know, sad yeah. stories or unfortunate stories yeah. where we're fighting for the rights of the LGBT plus community. But this one, this is a good day. It is. It's, it's also a day that I think, um, I get to celebrate a, a, a newer part of my identity. So I think a really interesting um, aspect of pronouns is that they can change over time. We're learning more about ourselves. We're learning better how we want people to describe us. I know that when I was a little kid, for example, I wanted people to describe me as an astronaut because I was going to be an astronaut, but I didn't grow up to be an astronaut. That's just the way it is. But as I learned more about myself, I was like, oh, this is this is something that is intrinsic to me. This is something that that makes me feel safe and secure and respected. Um, and it's so simple, right? My name is Sam Brinton. My pronouns are they and them. It's it rolls off the tongue and it's a cause for celebration. Oh, for Please. sure. And I love the way you even explain that. And for me, I still feel like I have an evolving relationship with um, making sure that I am cognizant of using my friends or that my loved ones around me correct pronouns, right? And I think a lot of people could be, you know, very nervous or scared if they mess up uh, because they don't, especially when it's someone that they love, what advice can you give so they don't, you know, obviously continue to feel bad and, and doesn't make them feel like, well, forget it. I'm just not going to try. <laughs> I mean, amen to, isn't it? I mean, there's the many a great sentence of uh, try and try again, right? I think the easiest way that I always respond to folks who are like, it's so hard. I get it. I, I am not going to say that this is something simple, but I am going to say that it's something life saving. So when I am thinking about um, pronouns, I'm literally in the back of my head knowing that LGBTQ youth who have their pronouns respected by a majority of the people in their lives are half as likely to attempt suicide as those who do not. So when I'm like, oh, I made a mistake, I remember it's a mistake. I work on it for the next time. But I also remember that by doing the right thing and by trying the right thing, I'm saving lives. It's easier to do something that's a little bit difficult when you know you're doing it for a really good reason. That's true. You made such a good point. Sam Brinton is with us again, who identifies as they, them, because we are celebrating International Pronouns Day. Wanted to mention that. They are a VP of Advocacy and Government Affairs at the Trevor Project, which is an organization that we love. So besides these personal experiences and having people in your life who have different pronouns, and so you're able to exercise that, right? Uh, you know, how else are we educating people about this? I think um, there's a few different ways that we educate about pronouns. One can be the direct conversation. I know it's the age of COVID, so maybe we're not shaking hands as often, but maybe in your Zoom, uh, when you, your Zoom, I would say, you know, screen where you yeah. have your name, maybe you can put your pronouns. That's what I tend to do pretty often to make sure that people know, hey, if I'm trying to remember what Sam was saying, maybe I don't want to be thinking about their pronouns at that moment. Oh, look, they gave me a hint. They helped me understand a little bit about them so I can talk more about what they're doing and what they're saying rather than trying to remember something that may be difficult for me. Another way is in your email signature. I am always a good fan of actually reading someone's email signature. It's the part of the email most of us don't uh, think about, but it's possibly a really great link to more information about this person or um, ways to get a hold of them. But most importantly, a lot of people are now adding their pronouns so that people can say, you know what? 
I know that if you're going to forward this email on to, you know, uh, a coworker or a classmate, I want you to know how to refer to me. So that way we don't have any confusion. Well, yeah. And I love that. But I even think about even kids growing up in schools and, and, and with their friends, how are we going to start seeing this being implemented with teachers, making sure they're using the right pronouns, because that is just as necessary to make it normalized in settings like that. Way to go, Ryan. So a major, major um, fact that we have to hold dear is that, a majority of students are not out to a single adult in their school. That's a really important thing for us to remember that they may not be out because they may not know if that teacher, you know, um, uh, janitor or administrator knows how to be supportive. And guess what? It's an easy way to demonstrate that you're going to try. You may not have all the answers. You may not be, you know, perfect at it, but you'll do your best. That's a really important part of a young person's life. Saying, oh, thank you for sharing your pronouns with me. Here's my pronouns in return as a way of also making sure you're connected. And then also ending with a little bit of, I want to support you in this way. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Thanks again for all those great reminders. We appreciate you as always. Absolutely. So grateful to have the conversation. That was Sam Brinton, who's the VP of Advocacy and Government Affairs at the Trevor Project. Now coming up, the Pope is calling for marriage equality. That is next on our Yaz Queen of the Day. It's time for our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Our first one goes to Olivia Newton-John, who is launching a new foundation to fight back against breast cancer after her own battle. And here she is talking about her journey and what she has set out to do. And chemotherapy and radiation, I've always thought, gosh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could create kind of therapies that help boost the body's immune system instead of knocking us down. I've been on this cancer journey for 28 years. I'm a thriver of three times going through this process. There hasn't been a lot of science behind plant medicine for one of the things and chemotherapy and radiation are kind of standard treatment for cancer and I want to show that there are other things that we can do and other things that we could add into what we're doing to support the body, mind, and spirit of people going through cancer. Now, she is just so inspiring. I love this woman. Amazing stuff. Yeah, you know, I love this woman as well, but I I have to say that I might be the only one and one of the few people that will say that Greece 2 was better than Greece 1. Stop it. Get out of here. I know it's pretty controversial, but it's just what it is. I don't make the rules here. Get out of the Zoom room now. (laughs) No, I'm just saying the music is just way better in Grease 2 than it is Grease 1. I want to know who agrees. Hit me up at LGT Show Everywhere because I feel like the people have some discussions that they want to have. Let's have the conversation. Okay, of course. The critics have also not aligned with your opinion for a reason. I love this. We could have a full-on debate, but we're going to move on. Finally, this is huge news. Pope Francis, in a new documentary, has called for the creation of civil union laws for same-sex couples. It seems to be his clearest support to date for the issue. And it comes from a documentary, according to the Catholic News Agency, where he says same-sex couples should be legally covered. We have to create, is uh, what we have to create is a civil union law, he said. And of course, he's expressed an interest in outreach to the church's LGBT followers in the past. But these remarks are pretty substantial in terms of changing policies. So a yes queen to that. 
Yeah, I find this to be one so wonderful. Um, but I also obviously find the humor in everything um, because it is so funny how when you're describing like kind of same-sex marriages, they describe it as a civil union. And I always just find that so funny. Like, why? It's just like, just they're just giving us the bare minimum of whatever it is. Like, all right, yeah, you can have your civil unions. It's all good. Um, but I see the positive and I love this. And obviously the Catholic community has way more to worry about than who's getting married to who. Let's be clear here. But let's start here. At least this is a good step towards something positive. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think we have to look at the positivity from this because it's wonderful to have Pope Francis, someone so high in the Catholic Church, um, you know, really, you know, normalizing this. Um, and hopefully that helps it, you know, he kind of helps make it more um, comfortable, I guess, for everyone else in, in the Catholic Church yeah. and passes that down. Because I know Pope Francis has been called out for being, I guess, what, too progressive and liberal? Hey, well, it's about time, <laughs> obviously. Well, that does it for our Yes Queen of the Day and our show. Yes, Queen. But we are back tomorrow, and let me tell you, get ready. It's the second and last presidential debate. We've got you covered right here on the show, and we are in this together. Even with how nerve-wracking it all is, we can get through this. All right, how many bottles of wine are you prepared to go through? Oh, do I need to reveal that? Oh, I mean, I would. (laughs) (laughs) Again, we post all our shows as a podcast. Just go to the radio.com app and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Have a great night. See you tomorrow. Bye, y'all.